Now, we finished up Luke 16 last week, and we finished up with the story of the rich man and Lazarus in verses 19 through 31. Now, when we went through it last week, we said there was so much in there that we're actually going to come back and teach it twice. The first time was in the context of the chapter, and the context of the chapter was that the Pharisees were trusting in riches. They thought they were okay with God because they had wealth, they had blessings in this world. And really what God was trying to tell them is the only thing that matters is having a relationship with the Lord through all of eternity. And so there in verses 19 through 31, the story of the rich man and Lazarus was trying to show the Pharisees that just because you have a lot in this world does not equate having a lot in eternity, meaning salvation. That was the context of it. Well, it opens up all these other doors of heaven, hell, what happens when you die, etc. And I said, we're actually going to come back and teach that one more time to do that lesson on what it means when we die and what happens. So with that being said, let's go ahead and read verses 19 through 31 here, get the context of what we were talking about. And as we get the context of that, we can come back and uh, pick this apart. Then verse 19 says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's this great gulf fixed that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Like I said, the context of this with last week was this idea of this rich man thought he had everything in life and really he had nothing. He dies and now he faces eternity, not having the riches of having a relationship with the Lord. But now as we go through this, it brings up all these questions of heaven and hell. I remember my friend telling me a story one time. He was starting up a Bible study where he worked. And he got together some of his co-workers. Uh, some of his co-workers knew the Lord. Some of them knew the Lord a little bit. Some of them didn't know the Lord at all. So they got this group together. And he had his great study planned. He sits down. And he's getting ready to crack the Bible open and start this Bible study. And then someone just kind of gently raises their hand. And he goes, yeah. And they just said, what happens when we die? What a question. Now think about that for a second. What happens when we die? That's really what we're talking about this morning. Now, we have to start all the way back at the beginning. Here's the first point. We're going to build on this point. You are an eternal being. You will live on forever. Now, your body, your flesh will not. But you will live on forever. You are an eternal being. You do not cease to exist when you die. You do not go to some type of soul sleep or lack of consciousness. You will exist Forever. Now, the choice that comes out of this is the eternity of heaven or the eternity of hell. You know, God makes this very clear. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that there is either everlasting reward or there's everlasting punishment. 
And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. As an eternal being, you will live on forever, and you will lack either the rewards and be in hell, or you will have the rewards and be in heaven. Now, this idea of eternity, it's a difficult concept to talk about. I've heard many pastors try to describe eternity. It just doesn't do it justice. How do you describe something lasting forever? Our our whole life consists of minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. To, To try to think past that to eternity, it's difficult for our minds to grasp that. You know, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 90 that you have basically about 70 to 80 years. That's what he says, about 70 to 80 years. Now, that 70 to 80 years, it's just a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. I had somebody one time tell me that they thought up until about age 70, they were in pretty good health. And that about age 70, you just start to see the body fall apart. That's about all we can last. Paul and Peter, when talking about our physical bodies, actually refer to it as a tent. A temporary dwelling that we're not supposed to be in forever. This is a tent. This only lasts 70 to 80 years. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's build on this idea for a second. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to do a lot of flipping around today. It's a little bit different than what we normally do on a Sunday. We're still continuing our verse-by-verse study through Luke, but this is more of a stop and talk about this subject. 1 Corinthians 15. We have these temporary bodies, these tents. Now, anytime you think of the word tent, I don't know about you, I start thinking of the idea of camping. Now, for me, when I think of camping, my wife grew up camping. You know, when we first got married, we camped a little bit. And, if, and when I think of camping, I, I think of this probably about 35, 40-foot mobile home with air conditioning and television, <laughs> an oven. I, I want to go camping where I don't have to leave the camper. That's my idea of camping. My wife's idea of camping is the pop-up tent. Now, I don't know who said right on, but you're wrong. The point is, <laughs> that idea of the tent sounds fun. But in, when you go camping, there's those first couple days of, man, this is great. This is how it's supposed to be. But after a while, you want to go back home to your bed. You want to go back home to your air conditioning. You want to go back home to your television. You want to. This idea of a tent, it's temporary. Yes, there's moments of joy in this tent. There's moments of fun in this tent. But eventually, this is just a tent, a temporary dwelling that I want to be done with. Because I am going to die. Now, I'm an eternal being. I, as a person, will live on. But this body can't. What happens with this? Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It says in verse 35, someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. We live in a farming community. We know how this works. You plant the one seed, the one seed basically gives up its life, if you will, to produce not more seeds. So there's this idea if we can't truly live until we die. Verse 37, what you sow, you do not sow that the body shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases to each seed his own body. So we have our bodies here. Now, verse 39, there's different types of bodies, animals, birds, etc. Verse 40 is what we want to focus on. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. The glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now, some of your translations say heavenly and earthly bodies. Okay, this is our earthly body. This is our terrestrial body. This will not last forever. We get another body, a celestial body, a heavenly body, a glorified body. 
Let's move on with this. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. Look at our natural bodies. The Bible describes it as corrupted, dishonorable, and weak. That is our flesh. Corrupted, dishonorable, and weak. This fleshly body hurts. We get sick, we have pain, we get disease. This is a temporary body that is completely and utterly falling apart. Now, we try so hard as humans to keep this body going. Eventually this body just can't go anymore. The terrestrial body, the earthly body, dies. Now as believers, we have the celestial body, we have the heavenly body. And what a beautiful picture that that is. See, jump ahead, if you will, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. I can't take this physical body with me. This physical body is death and disease and sin. I don't want this for all of eternity. Verse 51. But what I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. I lose my corruptible mortal flesh to have incorruptible, immortal, perfect heavenly. Verse 54. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the sting that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? That's the joy we have. The joy that we have that this body will eventually die, this body will be replaced by something perfect, by something wonderful, a heavenly celestial body that we will have for all of eternity because we're eternal beings. Now, that's an amazing thing to think about. But to get that great body, guess what you got to do? You got to die. Right there, there's that word, death. I've shared with you before that uh, our third son, Kenan, Every night when we do prayer requests, his prayer request always says, Dad, why can't we just go to heaven? When are we going to go to heaven? So then it brings up this subject of, of death and dying. And I try to tell him about the rapture and this idea that Christ may return and that we're going to be taken up in a moment into heaven. Or we may physically die. And my boy's always like, oh, we don't want the died one. We want that other one. We want that other one. I said, well, I want the other one too. When's it going to happen? My boys have no fear of death. If anything, they look at this life as an annoyance that they must go through. Now, as we get older, we start clinging to things in this world. And the idea of leaving this world brings upon fear. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, one of the powers that Satan has is the power of the fear of death. You know, if you look at any of these surveys that go out, some of the surveys are asked, what do you fear most? Generally near the top is the idea of death. I'm sure you know someone, a loved one, a family member, a co-worker, or maybe even you yourself, in the back of your mind, there's just this constant fear of death. What's it like on the other side? Have I even got the credentials to make it to the other side? What is going on here? It's this fear of death that just holds us and takes us. Now, the Bible makes it clear, we're all going to die. But in Revelation, four times it uses this phrase, saying that there's a second death. That's the one we need to be afraid of. The first death is natural. It's going to happen. Our bodies can't continue on forever. The second death, though, for those that don't know Christ, the second death is the eternal death 
of your eternal being in hell. That is the thing that we should be afraid of. That is the result of sin. Back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and when they sinned in Genesis 3, one of the curses that came upon this was that we die. It says in Genesis 3, and this is a phrase that we use at funerals, is from ashes to ashes, from dust to dust, from the ground we came to the ground we return. But from the ground, those who believe in Christ shall rise again. When I physically die, I return to the ground. And, and God, to make his point, when he does his first genealogy in Genesis 5, every single person he mentions, he ends with the phrase, and he died. And he died. To just make the point clear, we will physically die. Now, as a believer, what does this mean? As a believer, I'm immediately with Jesus. Paul wrote in Corinthians, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Immediately, back home in heaven, I don't taste the second death. I taste the first death of my body dying. But since I have Jesus Christ as my Savior, I live on forever in heaven. I don't taste the second death. And I get to be in heaven with God for all of eternity. Jesus told the thief on the cross in Luke 23, Today you will be with me in paradise. There's, there's no soul sleep, there's no waiting, there's no purgatory, there's no nothing. It's an immediate reunion with you and God and heaven for all of eternity. Let's talk about heaven for a second. Turn, if you go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Let's talk about the blessing that we have here of what this heavenly realm is. Revelation 21. <clears throat> Now, I don't want to step on anybody's toes when I say this, but I feel like this needs to be said. There is a lot of books and commentary and things about people that may have died and went to heaven for a time or had a near-death experience. And every now and then someone will come up to me and say, hey, you need to read this book. And there's been times where I've looked through it. And I remember distinctly one book, and I, and I won't say the name of it, it doesn't matter, but there was this one book where the person was talking about dying and going to heaven and, and coming back, and they mentioned some of the stuff that was going on in heaven. And I thought, that does not line up with the Bible. There, there, was, there was no scriptural, in fact, it was contradicting some of the stuff the Bible says. I'm not in here to debate those books. I'm not in here to debate that in any way. I'm here to just say exactly what the scripture says. And it's amazing how mysteriously silent the Bible is on heaven. For this being the end, for this being where we're going to live for all of eternity, it doesn't really say a whole lot about what it's like up there. And, that, and that's kind of interesting because in a little bit we're going to talk about hell. Now God makes it very clear what hell is like. He lays it out exactly. You cannot walk away from reading the Bible and not have a clear, full description of what goes on in hell. You can walk away from reading the Bible and say, okay, I understand heaven, I get heaven, but what about this? Now, here's the difficult part. It says in 2 Corinthians 12 that Paul went up to heaven. And this is how he described heaven. He says, heaven is so amazing, words can't describe it. That's the description of heaven. So you want to know what heaven's like? It's so amazing that words can't describe it. That's biblical. Now, think about that for a second. Think about trying to describe something immense and amazing. I always think of these three examples. Think about the ocean. I remember when we went out west and we saw the Rocky Mountains. Think of the mountains, or think about like the Grand Canyon. Now, as soon as I say Grand Canyon, Rocky Mountains, or ocean, 
You can immediately visualize that. You may have personally visited it. You may have at least seen pictures of it. You have a concept of it. So therefore, this amazing thing that you see, you can say, yeah, I get it. Now imagine talking to someone who has never seen a picture or heard anything about it. Explain to them the ocean. Okay, the ocean is this huge body of water. You mean like a pond? No, bigger than a pond. Okay, so what's the big deal? It's bigger than a pond. No, you don't, you don't get it. It's like just anywhere you look, it's water. Okay, so it's like a really big pond. No. Explain mountains. Mount, mountains are these, are these huge, like mountainous rocks that, that come out of the ground and they go really high up in the air. So basically mountains are just rocks. Well, no, it's not just rocks. You need to see it. Grand Canyon. Go on, look at the Grand Canyon. What is it? Well, it's this Grand Canyon. It's this hole. So you want me to drive all the way out west and look at a hole? No, it's not a hole. It's a... You can't describe it. I can tell you Grand Canyon. You think of Grand Canyon. I tell you Rocky Mountains. You think of the mountains. I tell you the ocean. You think of the ocean because you have visualized it. You may have seen it. You have read about it. But if you had not known anything about it, my words cannot describe to you what those items are. They can't. Heaven, I can't describe it. Can't. Words can't describe the beauty and the amazingness of what heaven is. We get pictures of it. We get tidbits of it. Let's look at one picture of this. Revelation 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Look at verse 4 one more time. And as I read verse 4, listen to these words. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That's heaven. Can you imagine an existence with no physical pain? Can you imagine existence with no emotional pain, no emotional scars of the past? Can you imagine existence with no spiritual questioning, wondering, doubt? No, we can't. Think of the last time you went an extended time in your life with no pain. Think of the last time you went an extended time in your life where there was not some emotional hurt that you felt of a loved one or maybe a past experience. Imagine how long has it been when you had that spiritual, Lord, I love you, I believe in you, but I'm struggling with this. Heaven, that's all gone. It says in Isaiah 25, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. What an amazing concept that is. And you think about this idea of heaven, dwelling with God. Jesus wrote in John 14, he goes, I leave and I go to prepare a place for you. Part of heaven is you get to dwell with God for all of eternity and perfect peace and perfect health, perfect everything because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Words can't explain the blessing that it is, the amazingness of it. Yes, the Bible gives us hints tidbits here and there, but words can't put it together of how beautiful this place is and how amazing it is. And for us to have an existence 
with no suffering? Oh, man, that sounds like heaven. And that is what the beautiful thing of it is. That's heaven. That's what Christ did for us. That's what we're going to get into. Now, it would be great if we could have stopped the message right now. But if you've got to talk about heaven, you've got to talk about hell. See, and this is the thing. Mankind throughout the years, through different denominations and religions, have tried to just take the concept of heaven and forget the concept of hell. That when you die and you don't want the heavenly realm, you just cease to exist, you soul sleep. There's one denomination, I shouldn't say denomination, there's one cult out there, I should say, that believes in second chance, that once you die, if you rejected God the first time, that you will go to hell for a little bit. But it won't be really bad, just bad enough to get your attention. And then God will come back and say, hey, are you sure you want this? Now that sounds good, but it doesn't line up with the Bible. What do we just read in Luke 16? We read that there is a conscious existence after you die. Conscious existence. The person is in torment. That there is a real torment. A, a real physical torment that's going on. And that there is no second chance. Think about that. Conscious existence. Real torment. No second chance. That's hell. The Bible refers to it as weeping and gnashing of teeth. Utter darkness. A torment a day and night forever and ever. That's the existence of hell. Now, the question comes up. Why is it there? Not too long ago, I was talking to someone, and I don't know exactly what phrase or term they would use to describe themselves, be it atheist or agnostic or whatever. They asked about hell. The classic question, why does a God of love send someone to hell? Now, there's a couple answers for that. The first answer is the easy answer. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to go. Now, we need to build on that for a second because I've said that to people before and that person says, well, fine, I choose not to go then. we got to talk about that for a second. First things first. Understand the nature of God. In 1 Peter, it says that God wishes that no one would perish but is graceful and everlasting and loving. Ezekiel, God says he has no joy in the death of the wicked. So that's the nature of God. He has no joy in the death of the wicked. He wishes that no one would perish. But yet there's still hell. Okay, if God is so loving and so amazing and so wonderful, why did he create this? But if you ever get asked that question before, you need to understand this. Matthew 25 makes it clear. Hell was created solely for the purpose of the punishment of Satan and the fallen demons. Matthew 25 makes that clear. That's why God created hell. It was never the intention to be the final resting place for us. That was supposed to be Garden of Eden. That's supposed to be heaven. So the existence of hell was there as a punishment for Satan and his fallen angels. So then why would God send us to hell? Like I said, well, we don't send, we don't, he doesn't send us, we choose to go. Okay, well, let's ignore that. We'll get to that in a second here. Why can't God just say you cease to exist? Why can't God just say, I will give you 70, 80 years on this earth. You choose to follow me, love me, accept me. And if you choose to love me and accept me, and then I will welcome you into open arms in heaven. If you choose to reject me, we just say, fine, deal's over. You just cease to exist. goes back to the first point we said today. What's the first point we said? You are an eternal being. You don't cease to exist. God has created you as an eternal being. The Bible makes it clear in Genesis, let us make man in our image an eternal 
being. So therefore, God said from the beginning, I want you to exist forever because I want to be with you forever. I want to dwell with you forever. I want fellowship with you forever. So therefore, you are an eternal being that can be with me forever. That's what he wanted. That's his love. So therefore, to say that I'm just going to have you cease to exist? No. He created us eternally to be with him eternally. Okay, let's go to the next one then. If God's so loving, what's the purpose of this hell for humans? So you've got to remember, let's go to the second nature of God attribute we need to talk about. The Bible uses this term that God is just. And when it means that God is just, that means that there is a set of right and wrong. There, there are rules here. So God is just. We have sinned. We have sinned by choice. We're sinners at birth. We're just sinners by being sinners. Romans makes it clear we're all sinners. So therefore, since he is just and perfect, he can't have that relationship with sin. So therefore, there has to be a place for these sinners to go that choose not to accept forgiveness through Christ. Now, he's just, but he's also loving. So since he's just and says that sin must be punished, that is the way the system works, he says, I'm not going to leave you hanging out there. I'll send you my son Jesus, who will die on the cross for your sins, will pay the penalty for you. So therefore, now that I am just, the penalty is taken care of through Christ, you can now have salvation. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jump ahead to 1 John 2. It says that Jesus is our advocate which technically means defense lawyer, and he is our propitiation, which is a fancy word, that he appeases the penalty. So we are an eternal being that lives on forever. If we choose to reject Jesus, we're an eternal being that chooses to live in hell. Because we chose to reject that. We're an eternal being that chose to reject that, chose to go to our grave with our sins not being taken care of. God is just. He is fair. He says those sins must be taken care of. I have loved you enough to take care of the problem for you, but you have chosen to reject that. So now you have to do it on your own. It says in Revelation 21 that non-believers will stand before God at the great white throne judgment and they will give an account of their lives to the Lord. They will get an opportunity to have the court hearing, but they won't be able to pay the penalty. Now, that means that we have a choice. I was talking to somebody one time we got into this point. He says, choice? How is that a choice? And he used this example. And I said, can I steal your example? And he said, definitely. So I'm stealing the example of the guy. He says, basically what you're telling me is I live in a town where there's two restaurants. Restaurant one has food which I don't want to eat, I don't like. Restaurant two has the food that I want to eat, that I want to go to. Problem is, restaurant two is perpetually, continually on fire. And if I go in to eat this food in restaurant two, then I will be burned and tormented as I go into this restaurant. But so, and you're telling me I don't have to go to restaurant two. Restaurant two is on fire. Stay out of it. So go to restaurant one. He goes, but I don't want to go to restaurant one. So what choice do I really have? So now think about that for a second. What choice do we really have in that? Do you realize how many options in life you really only have two choices? Many of you today will leave church and you will go out to eat. As you go out to eat, you will get your food. You will get your bill. As soon as you get your bill, you have two choices. Pay the bill. Walk out without paying the bill. Well, that's not fair. If I walk out without paying the bill, there's going to be consequences. Yeah, you still have a choice. 
Many of you are going to go shopping today. You're going to swing by a store. You need something. You're going to go inside and grab paper towels. You have the paper towels from your arm. You're going to go to the checkout. You have a choice. I can either go stand in the checkout line and pay for these paper towels, or I can just walk right out the door. You have a choice. There are consequences to those choices. You're going to leave church today. Some of you are going to drive 55 or below. Some of you are going to drive above 55. There are consequences to driving above 55. You have a choice. Most things in life are a choice between two things. One brings punishment. One does not. Now, the problem with this guy's analogy, he's basing his eternity on food choices. If the restaurant's eternally on fire, I think everything's probably pretty black. Number two, we have this perception of hell being this okay place. Yeah, it's rough, but we can make it through. There's no food down there. It's torment, day and night, forever and ever. Now, once again, as soon as we say that torment, day and night, forever and ever, well, that's God. No, that's not God. That's God giving you a choice, saying that I love you, and that's God saying that there's this sin thing, and so since you did this sin thing, I'll take care of it through Jesus and come up with me to heaven. What's the problem with that? I asked somebody one time who was so against this idea of Jesus and God. I asked him, what has Jesus done that is just so awful? This idea of accepting him and believing him and serving him. And really what it comes down to is just pride. I don't want to admit I'm a sinner. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I don't want to admit I need forgiveness. Fill in the blank. There's a pride that sends people to hell. When really it's grace that wants to take them up to heaven. So what do you do with this information? We talk about the eternity of heaven. We talk about the eternity of hell. We talk about the facts of it. What do we do with this? Jump back one book to the left. Book of Jude, please. Jude. Jude. See, here's the thing. We take this information... And we talk about Jesus. And we go out and we start witnessing to people. Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some having compassion. We usually witness that way. Mercy and compassion. We go up to somebody and we say, listen, your life... It's a struggle, it's a battle, there's an emptiness in your life. And God wants to give you a purpose. God wants to give you joy. God wants to pull you out of the drudges of your difficult life and and, and give you peace and, and eternity. That works for some. Other people look at their life and say, I don't think I have a bad life. You keep talking about lack of joy. I'm pretty content and happy. You keep talking about this emptiness of life. I don't feel empty. What do you do then? See, the problem is when you only present one side of Jesus, that he wants to give you joy, he wants to give you eternity, he wants to take you out of that sin and that darkness that you're in, you need to also present the other side, that there's the penalty for sin. Look at the rest of Jude. Look at verse 22. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. See, if I run into somebody... And their life's not empty. Their life is not pointless. They got a good life. 
I got a better life than I do. I don't go the route of, oh, Jesus wants to give you purpose. Jesus wants to give you strength. I go the route of, listen, there's an eternity. You're an eternal being. There's heaven and hell. There is a reality of hell. What's it going to be? See, i got to be honest. I was saved by verse 23 with fear. I remember distinctly, and I've shared this story with you before. I was sitting in the little white house there by the uh, library in Hamler. Jim was teaching, and he taught on the reality of hell. And he ended it with an altar call. Who would like to be saved? And I wanted to be saved. I heard about hell. I knew what hell was like. He just taught on it, and I realized Jesus is the one that gets me out of hell. So bingo, you got me. Thank you, Lord. Once I got saved, I started realizing the everlasting depth and grace and mercy of Jesus. And it's an amazing thing. But what got my attention was there is a heaven and there is a hell. And if I choose to reject Jesus and that penalty of sin, I'm spending my eternity in hell. I was saved by fear. And then as I was saved by fear, I then realized the depth in the relationship with Jesus. I don't know what it was like for you guys. And it would be interesting one time to take a little survey. How many of you were saved because you were in a dark time in your life? There was an emptiness and you realized what Jesus can do and that brought you to salvation. Amen. I wonder how many of you out here was like, you know what? I heard about the eternity of heaven. I heard about the eternity of hell. I didn't want to go to hell. And so therefore, that's what brought me to the Lord. One way does not work for everybody. And if you constantly go the compassion route, you're going to not be able to truly express the gospel to some people. If you constantly go the hell route, you're not going to be able to truly express salvation to certain groups of people. It's a balance. And you need to realize with each person you're talking to, do I go the compassion route, the mercy route, do I go the hell route? And the Lord will give you wisdom and guidance. So with that being said, with this information that's given to us, what do we do with this? We have the knowledge. Put this all together. We have the knowledge that every single person created is an eternal being. This eternal being will live on forever. Either in the everlasting torment of hell or the everlasting reward of heaven. With that being said, this tent, this physical body that I am, will die. And as a believer, when I die, the Bible says I get a celestial, a heavenly body. And I get entrance into heaven through Jesus Christ. He prepared a place for me, the Bible says. And since He prepared a place for me, I have no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. And I have the eternal dwelling with God for all of eternity, which is difficult for my mind to grasp. But that's what I have. And absent from the body, present with the Lord, my immediate existence with God in heaven. The flip side, non-believers. There still is a conscience existence after death. There is real torment and there's no second chance. Now, before we start blaming God for sending people to hell, once again, He does give two choices. Just like nearly every decision in life is two choices. We have to choose to accept or reject He doesn't change his existence. He says, I created you an eternal being. You will stay an eternal being. He says that I have created a just righteousness where sin must be punished. And that continues on for all of eternity too. But he also gives you the beauty of Jesus as the penalty for that sin to be taken care of. And then therefore, we make a choice. And that's what we're here to do. Is to make a choice personally. And then also once we have made a choice to express that choice to other people... And how we live and how we act and what we do. Got to remember the word believe does not mean just existence. Too often we say, well, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. As it says in the book of James, the demons believe in God. Satan believes in God. That word believe does not mean to just acknowledge the existence of that person exists. It means to place your life in their hands. 
I believe in many people. I'm not placing my salvation in their hands. But when I believe in Jesus, I not only believe in who he was and that he existed, but what he taught and what he preached and what he said. And so therefore I place my life in his hands because he's the only one that can pay the penalty for me. There is a real heaven. There is a real hell. And Luke 16 makes that abundantly clear. Now, with any type of message like this, it's not our typical Sunday morning message. Sometimes it leads to more questions than it does answers. And the 35, 40 minutes that we get on a Sunday, sometimes you can't answer all those. If you have any questions, grab me afterwards. I would love to get a chance to try to answer some questions about some of the stuff about eternity. If you have someone that you are concerned about their eternal state and you want people to pray with you about it, grab me, grab Rich, grab Renee, grab somebody. We'll pray with you for that person and that you can be a light and a witness for them. If you yourself are sitting here today and you're hearing this reality of heaven and hell and you're like, I need to make sure that I know where I'm going, grab one of us after church. I would hate for someone to leave here today with a question of eternity on their mind. Boy, we don't want to live in that fear of death like the Hebrew says. We want to live in joyful expectation of what our reward will be in heaven through Christ. Tim and Kelly and everybody, if they want to come forward here for the final song.